John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We understand the Lord Jesus Christ taking personal responsibility for drawing Gentiles unto him throughout all nations to the ends of the earth. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Out of every tribe, out of every nation, kindred and people. He has a Gentile church. Speaking, using it as a collective noun. And we thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that. I spent time trying to show you that from the context before, the context after, immediately around this verse, the three, ish, the three items that are here, the three events, this is conversion. This is the practical phase of salvation. This is a great accomplishment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ through his apostles and the preaching of the cross that occurred afterwards. If I be lifted up from the earth, that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is what Paul preached. That is what Paul determined that he would limit his ministry to or make the focus of his ministry was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. And the preaching of that cross is to them that perish foolishness. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block because they wanted a different kind of a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that would deliver them from Rome, so they rejected the Messiah that delivered them from the devil. Would have delivered them from the devil. Would have delivered them from hell. Would have delivered them from death and sin and condemnation. They rejected him, so he sent his gospel to the Gentiles. When you get to the halfway point in the book of Acts, and you get to Acts chapter 13, there's the Apostle Paul preaching in the, in the city of Antioch of Pisidia. Always remember there are two Antiochs. Paul's home church was Antioch of Syria. That's on the Israel side of the Mediterranean Sea. What nation lies to the immediate north of Israel? Syria. Antioch of Syria was Paul's home church, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. But Antioch of Pisidia was over in western Turkey. And Paul and Barnabas went in and sat down in Acts chapter 13, and when they were through with their ordinary reading of Scripture, they said, Men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? Say on. You should get a smile on your face when you read that, because Paul got a smile on his face. And Paul stood up and preached Jesus Christ to that synagogue. And the next Sabbath day, the whole city came to hear. And the Jews, out of envy blasphemed and contradicted and opposed Paul's preaching. So Paul did what Jesus said to do. You have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Amen. And so the gospel came to us. Amen. What God had chosen Paul to do all along, he made it happen in the city of of Antioch. Thank you, Lord, for sending the Apostle Paul Amen. for us. God left Gentiles in idle ignorance. I-D-O-L. Idle. Using it as an adjective. Ignorance. For 4,000 years, but no longer. Look at Acts chapter 14 and verse 16. Keeping your place there in John 12. But Acts 14, we have some pagans trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. 
Verse 15, Paul and Barnabas respond, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. Isn't that comforting to know? That the Apostle Paul could say that. And preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. The verse I want is 16. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. For those of you that have had to take a religion course in college, you got exposed to some of the religions that are out there. God allowed our ancestors to walk in their own ways. And their own ways were ridiculous insanity. The stuff they worshipped and the things they did. Child sacrifice. Burning children to Molech. All kinds of child sacrifice. There's people today committing suicide for their God. The things that the Lord has delivered us from. Thank you, Heavenly Father. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and sit down because I'm going to justify them all and regenerate them all by my mighty power. No. No. Go ye therefore and teach all nations because all power is given unto me. Now is the judgment of this world. The prince of this world has been cast out and I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. You go in the power that I have, and let's turn the world upside down. And they did. All men. All men here can be no larger than all the elect. And the world all is not itself conclusive of anything, the way that it's used in the Bible and the way that we use it. Arminians show their ignorance by their little phrase, All means all, and that's all all means. If that's true, what about the three alls in 1 Corinthians 9, 22? I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Whenever anybody tries to throw that all word at me, I tell them I deny the fact that Paul was a practicing sodomite. And they'll say, why would you bring that up right now? I just said the word all. Well, because you're trying to press the word all to mean all without exception. And if all is all without exception so that there are none missing, then Paul was a practicing sodomite to win the sodomites because he said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Jesus already told us who he's going to save. And he's going to bring all Gentiles. These are all men without distinction. Listen to the words. You can can push the word all to be all without exception or you can look at the word all as all without distinction meaning all kinds. Let me give you a verse. Why did I give you 1 Corinthians 9.22 again? So that you would have ammunition against somebody that wants to press the word all who doesn't know the Bible. Let me give you another one. 1 Timothy 6.14. The love of money is the root of all evil. I need to know, because you're pressing the word all, that the love of money is the root of all evil, What did Adam and Eve get paid to eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What did they get paid? I need to know. 
You're pressing the word all. But when we look at that word all, it's not all without exception. It's all without distinction. All kinds of evil have, been re have resulted from the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil without exception, but all evil without distinction. And that's how we understand places like 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, who will have all men to be saved. That's 1 Timothy 2, 4. The first three verses in 1 Timothy 2 are about praying for all that are in authority, for kings and for rulers and so forth. And so it's all kinds of men without distinction. God will have all kinds of men to be saved, including some from Herod's household. Because some from Herod's household were converted. And, and Caesar's, house, Caesar's household. But listen, I said Herod's, and that was a, we don't want to give Freud any uh, privilege or glory. But that was a slip because I have failed to tell you recently that in Acts chapter 13, when, uh, maybe I told you, I can't remember who I've told what and who I haven't. So it's getting bad. But I just want you to remember that the teachers that were in the church at Antioch, Paul's home church, right. it lists them as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Saul of Tarsus was there, but a man that had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch because the gospel went to all kinds of men. So who will have all kinds of men to be saved? Not who will have all men to be saved or all men would be saved. But he will have all kinds of men to be saved. Thank you, Lord, for showing us a few little things like that. Jesus here in these words revealed the broad reaches of his redemption to include Gentiles and Jews and that he would send the gospel to them. And I shared a number of verses with you about that before our break. Before the cross, Jesus fed thousands. After the cross, Jesus converted thousands. Jesus is the prophesied Shiloh that we looked at. He's the desire of all nations that came with the shaking of the heaven and the earth. This is the great glory of Jesus Christ, that he converted Gentiles to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jewish fishermen, the smallest of all nations, and the men they ordained turned the world upside down, and we rejoice in it. The Romans fulfilled it. I've shown you those verses before. I don't want to show them to you again. There's four verses in Romans 9, 10, 11, and 12. Four quotations from the Old Testament. Psalms, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. Where Paul is pointing out that those Gentile converts sitting in the city of Rome in that pagan capital had been prophesied of in the Old Testament. Because Gentile conversions were fulfilling the Old Testament. It was a huge event. Amen. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And he did. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us. There's so many verses that we could look at, but we've looked at most of them before. Let's go to Mark 13 and verse 10. We never refer to Mark. Poor Mark. We go to Matthew instead of Mark. But I'll go to Mark this time. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse of the Abomination of Desolation and all that is said regarding that. Mark 13 is the corresponding chapter. Mark 13, verse 10. Jesus said the gospel must first be published among all nations. This was a huge event. 
I am not going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. I am not going to bring the Roman armies until the gospel is preached to all nations. And it was so that all nations could read the newspaper and see that the prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem was fulfilled because Jesus was on his throne. It says it better in Matthew 24, but I, we're not going to ignore Mark because it is in the Bible. It is one of our 66 books, so I'm using it here. In Matthew it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Then shall the end come. And that end is the end of the Jewish state, the end of the Jewish, Jewish city and capital, and the end of the Jewish temple. But while we're in Mark... There's a reason we went there. Flip over a couple of pages to the right to the last chapter. And let me read some verses to you that the modern Bible versions say aren't in the Bible. The modern Bible versions end Mark 16 at verse 8. And verses 9 through 20 are left off or put in brackets or warned as not being in their great textual examples of Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Jesus said to his, oh, we want to get verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. There's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not all love and kisses. He's upbraiding his apostles for not believing what he had said he would do and then those eyewitnesses that had actually seen him risen from the dead. But remember, it's the 11. Those of you that have been raised in Arminian churches alongside me in various places have heard Mark 16, 15 pressed on you to quit your job and go be a missionary somewhere to fulfill the Great Commission. But the apostles fulfilled the Great Commission. Right. Verse 15, and he said unto them, unto whom? 11 men. Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. You know, they pressed us to go and do verses 15 and 16, but they never gave us the power to do verses 17 and 18. Because we couldn't. Because those were apostolic gifts. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And no one that you know that has ever tried to fulfill the Great Commission can even do the least of these. They may be able to take away a headache if they get you an aspirin in time. But look at verses 19 and 20. So then, so... Just as it was described, so then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And what do you have to say to that? Amen. Amen. Just like the Gospel of Mark does. The Great Commission was fulfilled, and the Great Commission was huge. And I hope that you can see it. I've tried to show you from the Old Testament. I've tried to show you from Genesis. I've tried to show you throughout. But it's right here. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You think these few Greeks are something? I have a whole lot more fruit than that. God's going to glorify me. 
and it wouldn't be much glory if it was just Israel. Israel shall not be gathered, but the Gentiles will be gathered. Amen. He was preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world. Dispensationalism that opposes us in some of these passages of Scripture is a bankrupt, blasphemous system of religion, and I'm not going to waste any time on it right now. If you want to read a little bit about it, then go punch into our website search engine, The Gospel Millennium. Or dispensationalism. I took their most important verse and took it apart in a Wednesday evening for you with slides. Their most important verse is Acts chapter 15 and verse 16, which is a quotation from Amos chapter 9 that God would build again the tabernacle of David. How did God build again the tabernacle of David? Did he create a millennium age on earth and make the Jews the supreme race again of men and put them over in the Middle East and make Jerusalem their capital? No. no. How did God raise up the tabernacle of David again so that the kingdom of David, the kingdom of God, same thing, under the reign and rule of the son of David would be reestablished in the earth? Converting Gentiles. Amen. It says so. Right. James took that prophecy from Amos and said, Brethren, we're here for a church council because we don't know what to do with all these converted Gentiles. But God's always had this in his plan. Known unto God are all his works from the foundation of the world. It's only a secret to us because he's showing it to us. But what Peter's told us, this is James talking, what Peter's told us and what Paul has told us about Gentiles being converted, it is the fulfillment of Amos chapter 9. God is building up his kingdom on earth and he's building it up with Gentiles. And we are part of a kingdom. And our brethren around the world appreciate what we're doing for them and we appreciate them. You heard some of the announcements that I had to make because we're getting into a problem. But I'm not even going to say right now because they're appreciative. We've sown spiritual things to them. They want to sow natural things to us. It's the Bible's equation. We're not worthy of it. We're nothing. We haven't done what we should have done. We're unprofitable servants. Lord bless our feeble efforts. Amen. Unto me, John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I will not draw all men to a new political party. I will not draw all men to social justice. I will not draw all men to anything but me. Oh, we don't want to forget that because it's the preaching of the cross. I've called it an acid test in writing to you on Friday, in writing to you yesterday, and in preaching to you this morning earlier. I called it the acid test because preaching Jesus Christ always works. It drives away those that are antithetical to us, the world, and Christians that don't want true religion. It drives them away, but it attracts the real children of God because they want the religion of Jesus lifted up and exalted and preeminent in all things. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. I only had you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 in preparation for today. But look at chapter 3. Paul describes himself in this chapter as the wise master builder of the church at Corinth. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, 
as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Those others building thereon were like a palace. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. What are these other ministers doing in Corinth? What are they preaching? Do you know what they were preaching? The abuse of the gifts, chapters 12 and 14. The resurrection of dead bodies wasn't going to happen. Chapter 15, on and on the errors in this church. That they should be puffed up and not mourn about an incestuous fornicator in chapter 5. Separating, divorcing in chapter 7. It's beautiful. The errors that they had there. But the Apostle Paul laid it out. Look at his warning in verse 10. That last sentence. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. All the way down to verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, this is a ministerial verse, right, Marianne? It's a ministerial verse. It's not like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where the temple of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit is our physical bodies. This is the temple of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the local church. We went over that a long time ago. One of the first things you and I got to talk about was 1 Corinthians 3, 17 verses 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, because we are told by the Apostle Paul that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, being the local church that Paul was the wise master builder of, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men will draw all men unto me. He is everything. And we want him everything in our church. Right. Everything in our doctrine. Everything in our practice. We want our songs to point to him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that needs to be the center of our church. The object of our faith. The cause of our devotion. Paul was constrained by Christ. The love of Christ constraineth me. Right. They, they said he was insane. He says, if I'm insane, I'm insane for your sakes and because of Jesus Christ, if I'm mad. We want Christ to be the center because that's what the gospel truly teaches. We don't want to be social do-gooders. We don't want to be political activists. We want to be dedicated, loyal, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ. Right. We never want to add wood, hay, or stubble in any form to the doctrine of Christ. We don't want entertainment. We don't want all these groups that you participate in. We don't want teams. We don't want basketball teams and softball teams and outreach teams and all that stuff. We want Christ and to be promoting Christ and to be exhorting each other to greater love of Christ. Lord, help us to do that. That's why he was lifted up, to save us from all those other things. And a foundation's been laid for our church, and we want to keep our foundation Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All that the Father giveth me shall come 
to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6, 37. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. It's to Christ we want to go. We must always keep the Lord Jesus Christ first. If we search Scripture correctly, it's always going to point us to Christ. Because Jesus said, referring to the Old Testament, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. We love Proverbs, truth, and wisdom. But we use it worldwide to introduce Christ. If there's not enough about Christ in our Proverbs, I'll remind you of two things. Number one, it's very hard for you to find Christ in the book of Proverbs because it's practical wisdom. Number two, pray for me because if the Lord will show me, I'll write more paragraphs at the bottom of our Proverb commentaries. But I'm going to be honest with the Word of God. We're going to sneak into homes through the wisdom of Solomon. And if he wants us to change that emphasis, we'll change it. We won't have a book burning, but we'll get close to it. Because we want to do it just his way. And every day, when I get emails with last names spelled a certain way that I know only come out of the nation of India, I rejoice that the Lord's given us a vehicle. Verse 33 of John 12. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Verse 32 was Jesus primarily telling us the form of his death, that he would die by Roman crucifixion, not by Jewish stoning. And the difference is huge, and I've already mentioned it to you. But while we're at verse 33, I have nothing else really to say about verse 33 except the word signifying. I've already said enough. Jesus couldn't be stoned to death for several reasons. He had to be hung on a tree because the Bible had said he would be. Therefore, the Jews couldn't kill him. Pilate tried to get the Jews to kill him in John chapter 18, but the Jews said, we don't have the right to do that. So he ended up being killed by the Romans, which got him up on the tree so that scripture could be fulfilled. I want the word signifying. I want you to remember and to learn that the words of prophets and every word of the Bible is important. If there's an important word in verse 33, it's the word signifying. Because you already know everything else 33 is referring to because it is stated in 32. But in verse 33, signifying. God's prophets do not use express language. They use obscure, metaphorical, symbolical language of similitudes and signification. Look at the first four letters of signifying. There in verse 33, the first four letters of signifying. What word is it? Sign. The prophet spoke with signs and symbols and similitudes. 
What are the first six or seven letters of similitudes? Simile, which is a comparison being made. Prophets did not use literal language. But the dispensationalists and the tribulationists and the futurists all want to take the prophecies of the Bible and ram them into a literal hermeneutic of express, literal, natural language. When the Bible tells us that the prophets used similitudes. Now I want to tell you something. If you did not have John 3 and the rest of the New Testament and you read John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Tell me what you would get out of that verse. He's going to levitate. He's going to take a spaceship to Mars. What would John 12, 32 mean to you? The ascension. But verse 33 tells us, signifying what death he should die, telling us that verse 32 is not very plain. It was by a sign, lifting up. Lifting up? Why don't you just say, and I, if I die a crucifixion death? Because God wants to teach us something in every verse. Right. You, you do not know the importance of the point that I'm trying to make to you right now, unless you try to go read some dispensational literature where their first rule of Bible study is everything is to be literal. Right. So when a lion lies down with a lamb, all they can think about is Cleveland Park. I mean, not an, another thought never enters their mind. They're in Cleveland Park and the zoo that's down there. I think there's a little tiny zoo in Greenville. I prefer Hollywild where I can get up close and personal. Never mind. I didn't mean any of that. But they see lion lying down with a lamb, and all they can think about is a zoo because they've got to force it to be literal. God said to Abraham, look north, look south, look east, look west. I'm going to give all this land to you and your seed. All they can think about is literal. And God said, I'm going to give it to you forever. So, Schofield can write a book that he calls a Bible and say, God has not yet fulfilled that promise to Abraham. And yet, Nehemiah wrote in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, that God absolutely did fulfill that promise to Abraham because God is righteous. So they make God unrighteous. That's why I call it a blasphemous system of religion. They take Jesus Christ off his throne because all they can think of for the city of Jerusalem is what is on earth over there in the Middle East. But that city over there in the Middle East is a God-forsaken city and always will be because for 2,000 years there is a different city that is called Jerusalem. And it's above and it's the mother of all us Gentiles. And it's the only Jerusalem the Jews will ever have. That city over there is still being trodden down by Gentiles. Who do you think operates that place? If America didn't support them, they'd have been pushed into the Mediterranean Sea already. Do you know anything about Ashkenazi Jews? Do you even know what the word means? Have you ever found it in your Bible? Dispensationalists, they got to make everything literal. And the reason I'm working this over is look at the word we have here. I want you young men to realize that there are things in the Bible that are to be understood spiritually. That spiritual things are more important than physical things. Spiritual things are more important than national, natural things. If you can see it, 
It's not important. Because it's all going to get burned up. If you can't see it, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. If you can't see it, it's eternal and it's important. That's why we have to, chapter 5, walk by faith, not by sight. Because if you're living by sight, well, this new home is so beautiful. And I'm glad for your new homes. Joey, do you still like your new home? It's beautiful, but it's got a hot future. The Lord's going to use it for kindling. In just a few years, he's going he's to use it for kindling. So if you can see it, it's going to be burned up. You know, I once had a, a pretty nice Jaguar. And I, I appreciate my brother-in-law telling me that it had a hot future. Reminding me that it was just going to be burned up. But if you can't see it, it's important. And the Bible has these figures of speech, metaphors, signs, symbols, and it tells us that's how the prophet spoke. And it tells us right here in this 33rd verse, this he said signifying. See, he didn't say it plainly in verse 32. He signified in verse 32 that he would die a crucifixion death. And if I hadn't explained it to you and you didn't have John 3, John 8, John 18, you would not know what he was talking about. Right. And neither do they. So they're thumbing their Bible through Amos. And it says, God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Wow. Yes, that's the millennium kingdom. That's when the Gentiles get to be water haulers and wood choppers for the Jews again. That's when all the Jews are going to be back over in the Middle East and they're going to be the preeminent nation and Jesus is going to be sitting on some goofball throne in some goofball temple that the Bible doesn't say anything about and they're going to restore animal sacrifices to the blasphemy of Jesus Christ. They're going to restore animal sacrifices because if you read the Old Testament, it refers to animal sacrifices. Of course there were animal sacrifices for 400 years after Malachi. But then Jesus leveled that temple and leveled that altar and got rid of that priesthood and there is nothing like that left. Right. Not even the Jews in the world sacrifice animals. Signified. When you go to the book of Revelation, it is signs and symbols and the first verse tells you that. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So don't go into that book and try to get something literal out of it. You ought to believe this. You ought to read the studies that have been made about the number of horses in China. Titus, Joey, how many horses are there in China? Because it says that there's going to be a cavalry coming from China of 200 million. That's a lot of horses. Do you know what McDonald's could do with that over there? <laughs> but they, they read it and they, they, they want to force a literal interpretation on it. Right. When it says, this book is a book of signs and symbols. And here, here we have an example. I just wanted to remind you of it. If you want more examples from the Bible... I'll give you two. My two favorite ones. Isaiah 13, which talks about the end of the world, the stars not shining, the constellations giving up, the moon being shut down, the sun being shut down, all nations of the world being turned upside down, just on and on it goes. And then as you get to the end of Isaiah 13, it says, the Medes and the Persians are going to overthrow Babylon. And it tells you what the whole chapter meant. 
Then the other one is Acts chapter 2 from Joel. There's going to be blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun and the moon aren't going to shine. When did that take place? It took place 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost because Peter quoted that prophecy from Joel and said, this is that. Who cares about real smoke? Who cares about real blood? Do you want to talk about something significant? A cataclysmic upheaval and turning of things upside down religiously took place in the day of Pentecost. What about Isaiah 13? Cataclysmic events happened in the political realm of the world by the impregnable city of Babylon being overthrown in one night. And that empire ending in one night without a struggle by the Medes and the Persians. That was the, the constellations not shining. Rulers are sometimes referred to as stars. The Bible calls rulers gods. And they were overthrown in one night. But it used signs and symbols. Prophetic language. Okay, let's read verses 34 through 36 and go home. The people answered him. This, is, this should be irritating to you. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. Has Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead? Does everyone around him know that? That's that's the context of John 12. Did God thunder from heaven? I use the word thunder because of verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Did God thunder from heaven? And yet they want to question him by what they've heard. In this church, it doesn't matter what I've preached so much as what the Word of God says or what anyone else says, but what is written. What is written? They had heard because all they could think of was a millennium kingdom of the son of David, their idea of a Messiah, defeating the Roman Empire, and reestablishing Israel as a great nation to last a thousand years. Can you think of any other rulers that have tried that? Does a third Reich come to mind? Oh, the millennium is so important. The Jewish fable of a millennium and Jewish supremacy. The third Reich wasn't Jewish supremacy. They didn't want the Messiah like this. And so they wanted to contradict him. 
We have heard of the law that Christ abideth forever. Are there prophecies in the Old Testament that say that the Messiah is going to rule forever? Of course, because he is. They just couldn't handle him dying. Did they have prophecies in the Old Testament that he was going to die? Can you think of an Old Testament prophecy that described their Messiah in graphic detail dying? Psalm 22. Anything in Isaiah? Isaiah 53. Does it say he's going to be buried? In Isaiah 53, he made his grave with the rich in his death. Isaiah, Psalm 22 describes it in detail. They didn't know how to reconcile them. And they didn't really care. Because what they wanted was their Jewish millennium. And Jesus dying on a cross did not fit their idea of Messiah. Does he fit our idea of Messiah? He absolutely does by dying on the cross. And then being preached to the Gentiles, believed on the world, raising, rising from the dead, and, being, and ascending into heaven. Amen. He's absolutely the perfect Savior. The perfect Lord. And that's what's been preached to us and what we want to preach and what we want to share with others, others individually is the glorious story of the Lord Jesus Christ. How sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus had said in verse 23, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The Son of Man is only used in one place in the Old Testament. It's Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. It's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this Son of Man? Jesus hides himself from these people. They don't want to know the truth. They're not answering legitimate questions. There are things called foolish and unlearned questions. And Jesus hid himself from them. He didn't try to explain to them. He just told them, while you have the light, you better walk in the light. Because the light is going to go away. Then you're going to be in darkness. And the nation was left in darkness. When Jesus left the temple for the last time, he said, your house the house of worship that he had called my father's house of prayer, he called when he left it for the last time, your house is left unto you desolate. Because he left the nation in darkness. Verse 35, Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Two or three days. We're, we're two or three days from Jesus' crucifixion. Two or three days, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. Do something with the light that I've shown you. And I'm saying that to each of us today. The light is with us. We are sitting in the house of God on the Lord's day, and we have heard John 12 explained to us, and it's understandable. Are you going to walk in that light? Or are you going to leave this assembly and go compromise somewhere with someone or something against the truth of God's word? I don't care if the compromise is small or large. Are you going to go compromise? A small compromise just means that the door, you've opened the door to the devil. He is going to go through it and open it wider. That's how he operates. That's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. And any lie is giving place to the devil. He's been a liar from the beginning. While ye have, verse 35, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. 
that nation was walled up inside the city walls of Jerusalem and massacred. 1.1 million died in the siege of Jerusalem. 97,000 were taken captive. The extras were sold into slavery, into Egypt, to work in the salt mines of Egypt. A few of the Jews were taken to the city streets of Rome to be drugged through the city streets in chains. All you have to do is go home and type into a Google search box the Arch of, of Titus. And you can see the pictures of that procession in Rome because Jesus Christ came and judged these people with darkness. They rejected the apostles. They were contrary to all men, as the Bible says. Peter on the day of Pentecost said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That wicked generation. Jesus said, here's how devils work. I cast them out. Then they wander around without a place to live, and they come back to check out the house where they have been, meaning the bodies of the Jews. And when they find the house cleaned and garnished, they go and get seven devils worse than themselves, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be to this generation. Right. Amen. Now, do you know what kind of darkness that was? And if the Lord can blind you. The Lord can blind me if we turn from the truth that he's shown us. Because truth is a privilege. It is not a right. Amen. Truth is not something that we obtain by our intellectual ability or our diligence in an office. Truth is a gift from God. And if we reject it and we don't receive it with love, he is able and he has promised and he has done on billions, sent strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 12. That is the Roman Catholic Church. Strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here we are. How are you going to walk the rest of today? In light of the Son of God, who judged this world, cast the devil out, was lifted up on a Roman tree, and sent his gospel to us Gentiles. Let's live for him. Verse 36, While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Let's have a church that are true children of light, because we believe on the light. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves to him. We repent of our wayward ways, and we follow him in the perfect way that Brother Newell reminded us of today from Psalm 101, Psalm 15, and other places. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. The Lord Jesus Christ does not owe us forever. Right. He does, he's not going to chase us forever. He's not going to chase you forever. Let's make it personal. He left these people. He departed from them and he hid from them. He did that throughout the pages of Scripture. When Israel didn't want him, he would back away and let a foreign power come in and take them captive for 20, 30, 40 years at a time. When they repented, he would come back and have mercy on them. It says in Proverbs 29, 1, He, that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. In Revelation chapter 2, and the evil prophetess Jezebel, 
at the church of Thyatira. It said, I have given her a space of time to repent. And I'm now going to throw them into a bed and destroy them in that church. God doesn't wait forever. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. That's what Jesus is teaching. And look at what he, he withdrew. He takes his candlestick out of churches. He takes his Holy Spirit out of churches and leaves them an organization going through the motions. Let it never happen here. He is the light. Let us embrace him as the light. Let us embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and let us walk in that light lest darkness come upon us and we don't know what we're doing anymore because we're in confusion. Of course, we'll think we know we'll know what we're doing, but we'll have been left into self-deceit. Love the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on him and walk in his light. As soon as you go out of here today, you're going to have countless opportunities between now and when you fall asleep tonight to walk in his light or to walk in your ways. Let's walk in his light. May the Lord bless us by the grace and glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.